I grew up in a difficult household and I felt like being vulnerable was weak and I felt like there wasn't a lot of room for me to mess up. I'm an only child. I was a a child of divorce from a young age. And so anyway, the point is saying that like I needed a superhero version of myself. Like that was the only way I was going to like survive. And it extended at college as well. Like I needed this person. And so it's like what I'm dealing with now is like how can that person, that character help you show up authentically, show up with a group of people you don't know and not extend your hand and be like, I'm SFK, which I stopped doing, but maybe I don't have to say SFK, but it's it's the energy that I'm doing, right? Because I think it's scary to be yourself. Like it is. And while I think that my audience always has said to me, like, you're so real, you're so yourself. Like I am. It's not like I just present as the character all the time. I'm being Serena with you right now. But I don't know. It's like there are moments of insecurity, vulnerability that I turn her on. I'm Doug Bopes, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. Welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and today's guest is the queen of confidence, Serena Kerrigan. Serena is a Latina content creator. She's a media personality, an entrepreneur, and creator of Let's Effing Date. Her brand is famous for its widely effective relationship-building card games. Serena's unique ability to listen and engage with her audience has generated viral success and a dedicated cult following on social media. NBC Universal quickly recognized Serena's genius for storytelling and distinctive connection to her audience, selecting her as one of the 11 inaugural members of the NBCU Creator Accelerator cohort. Serena's bold personality and life-changing mantras have inspired thousands to live their life unapologetically. Today, we discuss why changing her middle name and creating the SFK persona helped Serena survive when she was younger and how it helped her build true confidence along the way. Serena also shares the struggles the same persona has created for her and how it wasn't until recently that she was comfortable just being Serena. We also discuss the benefits of therapy, the world of dating, why rejection is redirection, and steps you can take to develop real confidence. This conversation is unlike any other that I've done on the show because we play one of Serena's dating games live on the show, and I think you're really going to find our discussion today informative, entertaining, and inspiring. So let's get this conversation going. And welcome Serena Kerrigan to the Adversity Advantage podcast. Serena, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you because you are the queen of confidence. And so many people, especially right now, I think, are just struggling with their self-worth, their self-esteem, and feeling confident about themselves. And I think like a good place for us to start is to talk about confidence and then how people can build confidence. Like, how does somebody know if they're actually confident? Because I feel like people can say that they're feeling confident, but they really might not be. I think confidence for me is seeing myself as my best friend. So do I like my best friend every day? No. Like, do I, are there things about her that I wish I could change? Perhaps. But do I love her, support her? Do I give her advice? Do I hype her up? Do I speak negatively about her? No, right? Like if she came to me with a problem, I wouldn't be mean. I would be like, you're incredible. Like, let's find a solution. So I think that's really what confidence is. I think that what it was marketed to me at least was 
love yourself, you're worthy, you're perfect. Like, and I just like couldn't really relate to that. But what I could relate to was getting in front of a mirror and literally having a relationship with myself and speaking to myself the same way I would speak to my best friend. And it really changed the relationship with myself because I think that in moments of that we struggle, our first instinct is to be like extremely self-critical. Like, oh, you got ghosted. Well, yeah, that's because you're not dateable and you're not worthy of love. Whereas if our friend came up to us and like, that guy ghosted me, I'd be like, fuck him. Like rejection is redirection. Like you're going to find someone great. Someone better is waiting for you around the corner. Like he wasn't your person, right? So it's amazing how the difference in approach is just so, I mean, like it, it's so crazy. So even when my followers ask me for advice, I just go, if I were to write that to you, what would you say? And they just come with like paragraphs and paragraphs. I'm like, so when it's to me, you know what to say, but when it comes to you, you have no idea. And so that's constantly what I ask them to do because it also makes my life easier than having to type out the answer because <laughs> yeah, yeah. they know the answer, right? They just want reassurance or, you know, I think it's about realizing that you are stuck with one person your entire life. There's only one person that is with you for, through every moment. And that is the person standing across from you in a mirror. So the sooner that you can really nurture this relationship with this person and realize that it's just you guys the whole time. You know, I think that that distancing of self, like literally seeing it as almost a different person that is you is very helpful because I think people bring up a lot. They go, okay, well, I hype myself up in the mirror, but I don't believe it. So that's why I try to say like, look at this person as your friend and just literally do that. And then eventually you will believe it. Like that's what's going to start to happen. Yeah, you have to take these small steps, like you said, and it's just like practice, 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 and like doing the work and doing things that scare you. And I think sometimes some of the scariest things in people's lives is actually being like true to themselves and actually like being okay with who they are. And I want to like dive into your story because I know that like you haven't always been this hyper confident person, right? I know there's been different times in your life when you've struggled with your own confidence, who you were as a person. So take the audience back a bit to like, I think you were in college or around that age where you're really struggling with your confidence and you ended up changing your middle name to fucking to just help yourself like accept who you were as a person like where were you at that moment in your life and what were some of the steps that you took to, to build like real confidence inside of yourself you know it's interesting i would feel like you know i did that when i was 18 and i'm 28 now and i feel like now i'm just beginning to really feel secure in who i am that's a 10 year journey and i feel like now i'm starting to really Feel that way and I'll tell you why because I got to college I went to Duke and I was from New York City born and raised and get to Duke and everyone is alpha everyone is beautiful and brilliant and you know it's ex an exciting time and I think I just came very insecure like I felt like how do I get people to want to like me. I was so focused on being liked. I thought that no one liked me. I was so insecure and thinking everyone was thinking about me. No one gave a fuck. But I just had this moment where I remember I left a bar and all my best friend, girls that were friends with at the time were all making out with guys. And I felt invisible. And I walked home and I remember being really upset and thinking, wow, like these next four years are going to really suck if like this is who you're presenting as. If the, you're so anxious about the potential of someone's thought about you. It's not even their thought. It's the potential of them having this thought. What a miserable four years you're going to have. And really it, what a miserable life you'll have. So I kind of just remembered like this instance of my friend crying it was actually in high school, but I remember this moment where I was like hyping her up and I changed her mail into fucking. I was like, you're, you know, Anna fucking Hutchins, fake name. 
And then I was like, you are Anna fucking Hutchins, but you know what? I'm also Serena fucking Kerrigan. And I realized that that moment of, of, it's a reminder of who I was. It wasn't so much about, I mean, I like the, the wow factor, the polarization that it caused on campus and in my career where people are like, who the fuck changes their million to fucking. But I also really, what it was though, was for me, it was that relationship with myself, that conversation with myself when I introduced myself, it's like, you're not just Serena, you're Serena fucking Kerrigan. And that constant hype up. Right. So that was like my mirror talk before I really started the mirror talk. But in some ways, and I haven't really talked about this publicly really yet, but like, you know, this character, this persona that I then created was so helpful for me because anytime I felt insecure, I would turn her on. And really her whole ethos is that like, she's the main character. She's larger than life. She, her sidewalk is a red carpet. Like she's just that bitch and she doesn't care. I think that what happened though, you know, and it was so helpful because then like, I just wouldn't shy away from what I wanted. I went after what I wanted at, in college, my career, my love life with friendships. Like I was fearless. She was fearless. I think that that was the plus side of her. And I built a whole business around her. And I literally talk about her like this, like she's a character cause she is, it's, it's an extension of me, but she really is in some ways a facade. And so now that I'm nearing my thirties, I'm starting to realize that while she helped me so much, there's also the flip side is that like when I turn her on, I'm turning something on. How do I get to a place where I'm okay being Serena and not SFK? Because it is intimidating when I'm dating a guy and I'm like, I'm Serena fucking Kerrigan. Like a guy's like, whoa, right? <laughs> and I think that like even just, you know, I, I sometimes do feel like I have to play a part and how, and while the tool was so great, the real test of SFK is can SFK make me confident enough to be like, I'm no longer SFK. Like I'm Serena. And that's really what I'm trying to do. Like right now in my life is like be comfortable showing up and not having this like really tough exterior because in a way, sometimes it's like rejecting before I get rejected. Right. Being like, I'm the shit, not in a, not you're, you're not the shit either, but more just like, I'm a bad bitch. And so I think that the, reaction when someone's like, I'm a bad bitch is to treat them like a bad bitch, but I'm so much more than a bad bitch. I'm also like a very like sensitive, like young, young. Well, I don't know why I said young. I am young. Okay. For the record, even though everyone on TikTok thinks I'm like 60 because I don't look like I'm 22, <laughs> but I think I'm a really warm, sensitive person. And maybe that's why to some degree I had to build this like, tough exterior because I did feel very vulnerable a lot in the life. And I also felt like being vulnerable was a sign of weakness. You yeah. Know? And thanks for sharing that, because I was going to actually ask you that, because I mean, I've heard you talk about how you've essentially created this character that obviously has been very helpful for you. You've been able to build a, build a business out of it. It helped you become more confident, ended up helping you become comfortable with your truest self. You've helped so many people and you continue to help so many people. But I guess, how does this like, get in the way of things like like dating? Like, how, Do you struggle like opening up and being vulnerable because in the back of your mind, you have this character that you're like, oh shit, if I open up and I show a sign of weakness, like what are they going to think of me? Are they going to think I'm some fraud? Like how does that all impact those things? Totally. I mean, I think that there is a large part of the internet that does think I'm a fraud because they know that it's a character. And, and so it's like, well, if you really were the queen of confidence, like wouldn't you just be confident presenting as your authentic self online? And I think that that's so valid. But I also think that the internet is very a scary place. And I think that there's also a buffer that I put between me and the internet. And I'm okay with that because I think like the people that literally like show all of themselves online and that is their business is their life online. That may work for them. I need a separation 
you know? So if I'm this character, then there's that buffer. And so if they criticize something or if they don't like something, well, it's okay. Not, I mean, obviously, you know, I'm always down to learn and stuff, but I don't take it as personally, right? Because it's the business. I think though, you know, what I'm working on is yes, in dating in, you know, SFK presents really masculine, like has a really masculine energy to her, which is why she's been able to accomplish X, Y, and Z. But I think that when it comes to, you know, dating, it's like, do I want to be the masculine person in the relationship personally? Like I don't, you know, like that's when I, you know, and I think a lot of women deal with this where like, we need to lean in all the time and we are constantly trying to get a seat at the table. And so then when work's over, and we're on a date or maybe with a boyfriend or whoever, a partner, we don't know that we, we don't turn that off. And then we get upset that we're not being treated with like that. But it's like, we also need to know, like, it's okay to lean back sometimes, but that's hard because like, we're still trying to claw our way, you know, in working is the newest advancement for women. Right. So it's like, we're trying to claw our way. And so that I think the number one technological advancement is in iPhone or Instagram. It's actually women in the workplace. And so we are all trying to figure it the fuck out. And then it's like, how do we, for the women that don't want to be masculine at home. And I don't, it's, I'm trying to be careful about things because I don't mean like be a homemaker at home, like, or like cook the, but I'm just saying like, letting sometimes men take care of things because if that's what you want, it's a difficult push and pull because SFK for me, like I, ha I created this character out of survival and it actually started way, way before college. I think I, I grew up in it in a difficult household and I don't really want to go into it because I'm still kind of like working through it all in therapy, but like I grew up in a difficult household and I felt like it was being vulnerable was weak and I felt like there wasn't a lot of room for me to mess up. I'm an only child. I was a, a child of divorce from a young age. So a lot of eyes were on me all the time and I felt an extreme amount of pressure and being vulnerable was like regarded well in some instances. And I think there was a lot of criticism that I grew up with. And so anyway, the point is saying that like I needed a superhero version of myself. Like that was the only way I was going to like survive and it extended at college as well. Like I needed this person. And so it's like, what I'm dealing with now is like, how can that person, that character help you show up authentically, show up with a group of people you don't know and not extend your hand and be like, I'm SFK, which I stopped doing, but maybe I don't have to say SFK, but it's, it's the energy that I'm doing. Right. Cause I think it's scary to be yourself. Like it is. And while I think that my audience always has said to me, like, you're so real, you're so yourself. Like I am, it's not like I just present as the character all the time. I'm being Serena with you right now, but I don't know. It's like there are moments of insecurity, vulnerability that I turn her on, you know? And I think that's a positive to have that. And I, I want to encourage my audience to have it. And it's not me encouraging my audience to make a fake version of themselves, but, but it's about, you need that voice in your head to be like, you can do this. Now, how do you have that voice in your head saying you can do this without, with also being vulnerable? Like that's what I'm working on right now. Yeah. There's a lot that you said. I think one of the things that stuck out to, to me um, that I was having a conversation actually with a friend about this to where like, because there's been so much advancement with women in the workplace, and obviously that's very good. It's also created challenges with women who like to be taken care of in a, like, you know, like the step back, like you said, they value things like chivalry because that energy is just turned on to just go, go, go independence. I can take care of myself that when you have a guy come along that like obviously respects what you do for work and like respects who you are. 
like wants to kind of lead in the relationship, that can be very uncomfortable, right? So I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up because I think a lot of people are having a hard time with that now. And the other thing is, I think it makes total sense based on what you said that you created this character out of survival, given that you said you grew up in a in a household that wasn't easy, you struggled in, in childhood. And a lot of times what saves people is having like a mentor during that time and having people like that they look up to. And you created this mentor for yourself, if you will, that now in turn helps you out, but also helps so many other people like when they're struggling and they're having a hard time. My question though is like, you mentioned that you it, you just recently like felt like you were comfortable with who you are finally. When was the moment that you like were able to look yourself in the mirror? Like what was going on at that time in your life and be like, you know what? Like I'm super cool with who Serena is. Like I'm super comfortable with who she is right now. You know, it's so funny. Like this is like extremely recent. Like I'd say within the past month. Okay. So you're getting a whole new Serena. I think it was about, and this is something that can be applied to literally everyone. There's a moment in your life I think everyone is born with confidence. I know that for a fact, because like you just like you were born pure, like you just are, you know, like you're ignorant of the world, of, of the issues of the world, of your place in the world, what you should look like, what you should be like, how you should talk, where you should work, who you should marry, etc. And then as you get older, there's a moment or there's an environment that you're in that suddenly makes you realize something is wrong or that you're not good. Every single child has this. It's impossible not to. Like there's a moment. I believe firmly that it could be from a comment. It could be not seeing yourself on the TV. It could be a parent, a bully. There's just a moment where like you're realizing that you're not good or you're other or something's wrong with you. I think that for me, it was really realizing that that belief is just so not reality. And I always knew that. But it was really unpacking things for my childhood. And like, if there's anything you take away from this podcast is like, stop going to Starbucks, stop taking Uber and get your ass to therapy. (laughs) (laughs) Like this whole idea of like, you know, it's, I mean, I'm a privileged white woman. So take everything I say with a grain of salt. But like, I think that you prioritize what you want in life. I wish as a society, I think that we're getting so much closer, but like mental health, working through your childhood, everything is connected to your upbringing, everything. And so when I realized that so much of the way that I was dating SFK as this character, everything was so connected to things that I experienced in childhood that I never even talked about, right? Once I was able to do that and really understand that like what someone says to you isn't truth. It's their truth and it's their opinion or whatever, but you create your own truth and really understanding that like the things that I thought were bad or that I wasn't good enough, it's not based in reality was really essential. But like, it took a lot of like painful conversations going through painful memories. And like, it wasn't like this, like linear progress of like, okay, we're going to talk about everything that happened to me childhood. And then I'm going to suddenly come out. Okay. Like, no, it was a lot. I mean, I'd been doing this specific type of work since May. So about half a year, I can't really do math, but I think that's around half, maybe a little over half a year. And what it is, so I think when you asked me, was there a moment, it's more like, I mean, I've had people just say to me, like, you have a different aura about you. And I feel that way too. Like, I feel comfortable showing up and just being there and not having to perform, you know, like, I felt like I had to perform. I had to perform because I think that would make people like me, or maybe it just made me comfortable being in a space that would make me uncomfortable. I think I weirdly have more social anxiety than I even realized, right? But I think that that's normal. Like when we're human beings, like we want to be 
loved or well received. Like that's just an inherent thing. Like we want to be feel a part of something or someone. So it's like, how do you work through that? It's hard. I definitely relate a bit to what you said because, you know, I, I was incarcerated on felony drug charges back in 2008 and I was heavily addicted to drugs and I won't get too much into my story, but I ended up like changing my life, losing a bunch of weight and then, you know, becoming a personal trainer. And that led to me doing what I'm doing now. And I, I made all these changes physically. I made some changes emotionally, mentally, but I never really like did the inner work. And I got to a place like emotionally where I couldn't figure out why I was always stressed, why I was always anxious, why like you know, women would call me attractive and say that I looked like Mark Wahlberg. I, got, I would get all these compliments, but I never believed it. And I say this because I never believed it because I grew up significantly heavier than I am now. I was bullied a lot throughout my childhood, went through a lot of stuff growing up. That was what, how my brain was wired. So I just had like this level of cognitive dissonance, I guess, to where people would say all this stuff to me and I wouldn't believe it. And I was like trying to figure out like what the hell was wrong with me. And it wasn't until I was in therapy and my therapist sat me down and I was like trying to talk about anxiety. And she was like, no, no, no. Like, how did you grow up? And I was like, why does that even matter? And then she like broke down like pretty much like everything you just said. And I had to like go back and like heal some of that stuff and be comfortable with who I was. And this was like in my mid twenties. And once I did that, like things changed. I was no longer, you know, just dating girls just for the sake of dating a pretty girl. I wasn't like just chasing after money. I wasn't chasing after success like I did before, because that's what I thought was going to make me happy for the rest of my life. We will get you back to this episode of the Adversity Advantage in just one second, but first wanted to give a quick shout out to Organifi. As you know, Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offers plant-based nutrition made with high-quality ingredients. Each Organifi blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses with ingredients that are organic and free of fillers that contain less than 3 grams of sugar per serving. Recently, I have been loving the refreshing taste of the new Organifi green juice, Crisp Apple. That's right, Crisp Apple. It comes with all the benefits you've come to love in the classic green juice with a new juicy twist. Enjoy the same fan-favorite nourishing ingredients such as ashwagandha, moringa, spirulina, and chlorella, designed to hydrate, energize, and support cortisol balance. The new green juice, Crisp Apple, is made with organic, wholesome, hand-picked apples. It tastes like a fresh, juicy slice in every sip, making it the first of its kind the whole family will absolutely love. It's only available for a limited time, so make sure to stock up now and take advantage of this nourishing green juice that tastes absolutely divine. So go to www.organifi.com backslash Doug and use code Doug for 20% off your order. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com backslash Doug and use code Doug for 20% off any item. Now back to the show. Great. Like same exact experience really. Yeah. I think there's like, I think everyone has this moment. Like everyone has this moment in childhood and their upbringing. And it's up to you whether you're going to let it dictate the rest of your life or not. But I think the thing is, it's like, you seem obviously you're a seeker. Like I feel like you like to seek answers. And so am I. I'm extremely like, I love to know more about myself and, and the world. I think it's about the people that don't want to see like it's too painful. They avoid, you know, and that's such a bummer. And that's what I really try to do with the work that I'm doing. It's like, I literally want to hold a mirror up to people. And people literally respond to me saying, it's too hard to look in the mirror. Like, I've been with clients. I mean, I used to coach during the pandemic a lot. Like I coached women from like ranges, like 14 years old to 60. And like a lot of them just like could not even make eye contact to themselves. And I was like, but see that feeling, that uncomfortableness, that, that pain or whatever that is, like you have to power through, right? Because like 
when I'm doing ab crunches, it feels like shit, but I know that there's going to be something good on the other side. Hopefully I'm still waiting for my six pack to show up, but we'll see. But with that, I'm like, it's so uncomfortable to look at yourself in the mirror. Then you have to do it. Like that's all the more reason that's my POV. But I understand why people are like, nah, I'm okay. Like I don't want to. Well, and I think because people are just, unfortunately, they're afraid of that near-term intense like discomfort that you feel initially, right? Because they're afraid that, and this is just based on my experience, maybe you've had the same experience too, that if you open up and you share and you're authentic about how what's truly going on, like not what you see on social media, not what you're telling like your friends, like what you're actually going through, that then you're going to be judged. And then people are going to think less of you and you're going to be somehow seen as broken that needs fixing, right? And I think that that couldn't be further from the truth. And I think in life, unfortunately, like there's paths that are hard. And the one path that's hard is going to therapy and doing the work like you described. And the other path is just sitting in that like level six or seven pain for the rest of your life because you just don't feel confident about yourself enough to believe that you're worthy of actually going and doing the work and seeing a therapist to try to unpack those things. And you're right, like we have come a long way as far as advances in, in mental health and, and access. And I think we still have a long way to go, but I just encourage everybody, if they're listening to this or watching this, to ask for help if they need to. I want to ask you something that came to mind. So pre-therapy, what types of guys were you attracting? What kind of things were you settling for? What kind of like, what was like the biggest limiting belief or thought that you've had to overcome throughout this whole process? I want to start off by saying I've been in therapy since I was seven years old. Okay. So I've had, I think about five, like really instrumental therapists in my life. And like, because I think this comes up a lot for people, like I don't need therapy anymore. I took a break because I felt like I kind of hit a dead end with a therapist. And then I started with a new one because of what I'm about to tell you, because of my dating life, like something wasn't sticking. And it was like, I unlocked a room to fucking Narnia. Like it was insane. So I think that that's just something like I want to say to people if like they feel stuck, like sometimes you just got to go to a different therapist or take a break. But like the work is never done. I really believe that. We were like, oh, yeah, I'm not. I'm over. I'm done. Like I'm worked out. I'm like bullshit. Like, the work is never done. But I'm also someone who hates being complacent. And I always think that I could become a better version of myself. So for dating, I started to a lot of it came with this whole masculine feminine phenomenon that's we've seen a lot on TikTok. And there's this podcast, her name's Anna Rova. I really like her. And she, you know, my friend was like, oh, you should listen to this podcast. It's interesting. And, and it was like that. It was about, you know, I'm someone who appears to come off very masculine energy. I think SFK is, and it's really helped me succeed in business and in life. But I, I've said like, but I want to be taken care of. Like I want to, you know, go on a date and the guy chooses a restaurant and chooses what we're eating. Like that personally, I hate picking the food on the menu. Like it gives me anxiety. I don't want to choose. I make decisions all day. Like I just don't want to choose. Okay. So I looked at all of the men I've ever slept with. I looked at the list because I'm like Samantha Jones from Sex in the City and like I mean, it's SFK is really. So I've like documented like literally everything. I just like I you know and I'm, I'm pro sexual fluidity and positivity, but that's kind of besides the point. Anyway, I looked at the list and I just like, I saw a common denominator, which was like the majority of the guys on the list were way younger. Not like, I think men mature three years slower than women. So if you do the math, like, like a couple years younger than me, like a good, a handful, three years, right? And I'm not equating age with maturity, but like I am to some degree, I think. I don't know if you agree or not, but like there's some degree, like, yes, there are exceptions to every rule, but like for the most part, like 
to me in my dating life, there's a difference between dating a 27 year old and a 35 year old massive difference. So I just noticed that like the majority of the guys on the list were like a lot younger than me and I'm 28. So like dating a 25 year old, like what, like, I don't know. I just, they're not men yet. They're not men yet. I don't think they're not established in their career. I think men feel like men when they're like in their career and they're, you know, in a position of power. Right. And the most part, I don't think men are there yet. And so that was like one thing, but that would actually manifest because I'm not like judging a guy dating him based off of like where he's at in his career by any means, but it would manifest in like, you know, me wanting to take care of, be taken care of and sometimes feeling like they were more beta and they wanted me to handle it all. And I resented that because I was just like, for example, this is a good example. I was, you know, this guy asked me on like a third date, you know, to go out to dinner in New York city, which is where I live and said that he couldn't find a reservation, a restaurant to make a reservation, which New York city, I find hard to believe. So I was just like, oh, really? Like, this is not my problem. Like, you're taking me out. Like, it's just not. But I was like, oh, like, and I suggested a restaurant. He was like, great. So he booked it, you know, and then we get to the restaurant and he's just like, I was like, listen, like you order like whatever. Like, I like everything. I literally eat everything except for like celery, like go for it. (laughs) So random. And he was like, he was like, wait, what do you mean? You're going to make me order? So that I didn't like. But then you know, the night ends and he gets the check and he pays for it. And then he goes, well, had I known you were going to pick the most expensive restaurant in New York, by the way, it wasn't, it was like a hundred dollars each. I just want to say it for the record, which is expensive, but in New York, that's actually pretty reasonable. If you have an entree appetizers, two drinks. Okay. Also like, yeah, by the way, like it isn't the most expensive restaurant in New York, but like, yes, like I expect that you're courting me and that like, you're going to take me out to nice, nice places. One, that's just something, but also if he had taken me to McDonald's and was like, we're ordering the number five on the menu, it's fucking amazing. I would have been elated. Why? Because he had the confidence and just like, like he made the decision. Like he was confident in that. And like, he was excited to show me something. This felt very like, I don't know. And then criticizing me for a suggestion that I didn't even want to make. Like when he said, can you suggest a restaurant? I said, I'm sure I'll love whatever you choose. Like I really tried to empower him. I don't want to empower him. I don't want to empower a man. I empower women all day. Those are the ones that actually need to be empowered, right? So it's like, that's what I realized that there was this thing where like I was attracting men that were maybe should be my clients. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But like I was attracting men that like I was the alpha and I don't want to be. And then like, do you think that it was because people like these, some of these guys knew who you were and they were like, oh, like she's, she does well. She makes good money. She's got a big social following. Like she can figure it out. Or do you think that they were intimidated? Oh my God. I think, no, I think they were intimidated. And I think that I'm also learning, like when I think about that date, I really shouldn't have ever even picked the restaurant. Like I really shouldn't have. And I'm not, I'm not blaming it on myself, but like, but that kind of just said it all for me. Like this person's wants the woman maybe to make the decisions Maybe that has to do with how he was raised by his mom. Maybe she made all the decisions for him. Who knows? Or maybe it'll, he wants me to make all the decisions because it's dating SFK and it's fun. It's a thing in New York, whatever. And then he'll eventually maybe want someone that makes him feel alpha. And it's true. It's hard. I think it's hard for women who are successful and make money and are very, and don't need a man to come off like they need a man. Cause I think men do want to feel needed to some degree. Right. I think so. But I think the right guy would actually like, be able to separate the fact that like this is your business and this is what you do for your career and that you 
create this to inspire other women to become, you know, a certain way and to lift themselves up. And that when you're like dating somebody, like especially when you you do you are open and you talk about how you do want to be like more in your feminine when you're in a relationship or you're dating somebody that you know, a guy would be able to pick up on that just naturally and be like, all right, I'm gonna, and it's like, I think what bothers me the most about what you just said is like, even if like I let somebody pick the restaurant, like I would never like bitch about the price. Like that's just oh my like, God. I mean, that was like, you know what I mean? Like, it, I think it's in such a uncomfortable, it was so awful. It was awful. Like, and then I, I didn't ever go on a date with him again, not because of it just, I was just like, Oh, I really didn't like that at all. And I just felt like that was a character thing. And that was just like, that's maybe who he is. I don't really know. But regardless, it's like, I'm also learning to lean back to like, maybe sometimes, and it's not to say, and I think like women get confused or like, can I text him first? Can I not? It's not that it's more like the initiator. Like I'm no longer the initiator of the plan. I could text someone. I'm happy to start a conversation, but like, I really do lean back. Like, I really feel like I'm a prize and prizes don't chase winners. Winners chase for the prize. So, and it takes a lot of practice and discipline because the immediate thing for me to do is to make the plan, is to take care of it, to find the solution. That's like what women do. We always are like nurturing and figuring it out. I don't know why I went like this, like boobs. I don't know. But like, it's about being like, no, just lean back, relax, not to try to control. Because I think the control thing also comes from anxiety. I, I was seeing this guy in LA and you know, the distance was really tough. And what I did was like, I suggested that he come meet me in Miami. Like I was like, come to me. Like I have the hookup, like come. And he didn't come. Why? Because he's a masculine man. Right. So he was going to come in on my room and like mooch off. Like, no, he's, he's going to make the decision. He's going to invite me. And I love that. But I was like, why did I even ask him? And I felt like it's because I was so afraid of losing him or if we didn't see each other, then it's not going to work out that I exerted control. Instead of being like, if he wants to see me, he's going to make the plan. And if he doesn't, he won't. And there's a million other guys. And you need to be firm and comfortable in where you are. I want to dive into that because there's so many people that struggle with that. Like a lot of the questions that I'll get on relationships, whether it's just through my DMs or like just when I'm interviewing an expert, I'll always like post and say I'm interviewing this person and questions will come in where it's like, how do they know like when it's time to like get out of like a, a quote unquote situationship or how to walk away from something because it's super uncomfortable. Like you said that you're in a place where you've been talking to somebody for some time, but they're not like meeting your needs. You know, probably deep down, they're not right for you. Like, how do you practice that confidence in that moment? Like when it's, when it actually counts, like, I mean, I, obviously I think standing in the mirror and talking to yourself is super important, but it's even more important when like you're in the situation. Well, the point of standing in the mirror and talking to yourself, it's like, it's about building the relationship with yourself because if your best friend was in a situationship and the guy like clearly wasn't going to commit to her, what would you say to her? So then you start to say it to yourself and be fucking honest with yourself. I realized that there's this really crazy misogynistic messaging in the patriarchy that we're running out of good men. Like constant. And I'm literally nearing my thirties. And it's like, Oh my God, like we're running out. There's no good guys. Dating is so hard. Like, so what does that do? That makes women attach to someone that isn't worthy of them, isn't giving them what they want or need, but out of fear of scarcity. And my mom said when she moved to New York from Argentina years ago, when she was in her twenties, the same fucking messaging occurred. Right. And like, she's like, really, you know, but the same thing it's done, obviously. So women run and, you know, have babies. Blah, blah, blah. I think it's like, what I've noticed as I've gotten older is like, there's always another guy. 
Like, I can't even tell you, like, there's always another guy. Like whenever I'm like, oh, always another guy. They're everywhere. And especially if you're in a city like New York, oh, you're golden. I get that's a little tougher if you're in a small rural town. Well, okay, maybe it's time to move. Cities are great, just saying. But like dating apps, like FaceTime, like it's actually true. Like now more than ever, we have so many options. Now, is that overwhelming? Absolutely. Do people not come in? Because it's 100%. But what it also does, it should make you feel the confidence to walk away from what isn't serving you. And I think that if someone isn't committed to you, you can tell immediately. Like I know immediately. Like if a guy's into me or not, I just know, like, it's really not that hard. I think people really show you who they are within the first few times of meeting them. I think the number one rule I've learned and will, that will help you stay out of situationships is you have to date three people at a time until you're committed. And I know, and I've been and I, the reason I say this, is cause this summer I was talking to a guy and I think the talking stage is just like useless. You want to get to know someone, get in front of their face or FaceTime them phone call. Okay. Texting is not, is the least effort made. Like it's just a joke. It's not getting to know someone. Dating someone is them making a plan. You going on a date. It's them courting you. You know, it's not them coming over. I had this guy texting me all day, every day, you know, took me on two dates and then started coming over to my couch. Like, and I let him, the date would be on my couch. And then I was shocked when he broke up with me. And why? Because I also wasn't dating anyone else. Dating out that someone else is, is one to help you not get too attached to one person, but it's also for you to compare and contrast. There's things that you might think are chill or whatever that actually become major motherfucking red flags. Like dating someone on my couch. What? He didn't even bring over wine. It was crazy. But see, if I'd been dating someone who was taking me out to dinner every night, then that would have been a really great contrast situation. I think with situationships like... It's just like, you need to feel safe in a relationship, you know? And even with this new kind of Serena, like I was dating this guy recently and he opened up a lot about his family on the first couple of dates. And it took me like, it was like, I was actually really like, I was, thought it was really attractive. Like he was so open and honest about a lot of the trauma experience as a kid. And so it was our third date and I, he asked me what I was doing for Christmas and I was ready to open up. And I said, you know, da, da, da. And he goes, oh, here come the daddy issues. Wait, he said that to you? He said that to me. Wow. And I climbed into a metaphorical hole and just never came back out. And honestly, I never saw him again after that date because I was like, see that to me, like that's a non-negotiable. Like you've opened up. I was ready to open up. You completely, you made me feel unsafe. Like you did not make me feel safe to be honest. And you, you made it a joke and it was just such a gross thing to say. And so for me, like, I was like, it's just not going to work out. Like, I just know, like, I know, sorry. And maybe I, I think that some people might be like, Oh, you're too tough. Well, I had an instinct. No, I think you're right. I mean, I think that's hyper disrespectful for someone to say to anybody, it doesn't matter if you're dating them or not to like when somebody is like opening up and being vulnerable with you about something, especially when you've already like heard and listened to that other person's side of things. And they say like, they make a comment like that, which is very rude, stigmatized, like can be very hurtful. Sexist. Yeah. It's sexist because let's face it. I think like guys have mommy and daddy issues too. It's just not, I guess it's not as talked about as, as much because like, it's just, so I guess it's more generalist for people to think about the daddy issues in the case of a woman, but I know plenty of guys that have parental issues. I mean, you see it all the time. Yeah. Everyone has a parental issue. Every single person. Your parents fucked you up in one way or another, a hundred percent. Yeah. So it was like, 
that to me was something that in the past would I have let it slide? Yeah, I would have. Why? Because being with someone, dating someone felt better than being alone. And when you start working on yourself in therapy and in front of that mirror, you start to realize that like, I actually enjoy a night on my couch watching TV or a movie or reading a book and not going on a date with a guy who won't even like make me feel safe enough to talk about my past. Like what is better? A lot of people would choose the guy because that gives them validation. So what I'm saying is if you really work on yourself, talk to yourself in the mirror, you start to give yourself the validation you so desperately need. We all do, right? Because we give it to everyone else in our lives that we love. So you give it to yourself. You get to a place where then you stop accepting less than what you deserve. You really do. I love this. You begin to do it for the plot, which is like the title of like your, it's like part of your brand, but it's also the title of your like live show that I know is coming up in March. I saw you just added another date. Congrats on that. But I think a lot of people struggle with this, Serena. Like a lot of people, they're afraid of the plot. They're afraid of like uncertainty. They're afraid if they're going to find love. They're afraid with what their life's going to look like in like 10 years. So they don't walk away from that relationship. They don't say no. They don't take a chance on themselves. How did this all start for you? Like how did this all begin to come together? And then how has it served you as far as how much success you've had personally and professionally? I think like, we're going to die. Sorry. Like we're all going to die. So really, really? Yeah. like, like, yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> so really like, what are you afraid of? Like I quit my job two weeks before lockdown, like unknowing it, like didn't know, like quit my job, you know? And it was the best thing that ever happened to me. Like literally, like it, it, the timing was perfect. While it seems it was terrifying at the time, it was the exact right moment for me to launch what I wanted to launch. And so, you know, I really just choose to see the glass half full in every situation. I believe rejection is redirection. I believe things that you could see as a setback is really furthering you on your plot. Like any main character in any movie, it's not all like amazing, right? Like they go through truly like different incidences. They go through heartbreaks. They like, I mean, I'm literally writing a screenplay right now, but they literally like, there's conflict all the time. And that conflict builds character, their character, and it gets them to the happily ever after in the end. It gets them to where they want to be. And I think that if you can see yourself as the main character of your movie, of your life, and accept that, yes, like things are scary, but if you don't jump, you're never going to see the view. You're never going to see what happens next. You can't stay stagnant. That to me is worse than trying because I don't believe in failure. I believe in lessons. I believe that everything is a lesson and that everything is pushing you further and further to where you're meant to be. And if you can really change that mindset, you can change your whole life and not be so scared, you know? For sure. Yeah. I mean, and so like diving into that, like you've created this plot with your life that has started to unfold and it's obviously had many ups. It's, there's been some downs. What's a time that outside of like your experience in college and outside of like when you quit your job where you've been in the thick of your plot and you've like been filled with worry, uncertainty, you've been in like a, like a somewhat of a dark place. Like what was that time like for you? And then like, how did you get out of it? There have been many times that this has happened. I think something I remember I really wanted to quit my, this is before I quit, but I really was like ready to leave my job. I was a producer at Refinery29 for three and a half years after I graduated from Duke. And I was really ready to go. And I got an audition for E! News to be a host of a show, a pop culture show. And I wasn't really like a pop culture girly, but like I loved being on camera and I was, I did tons of hosting at Refinery. So I fly to LA and I do the audition and I had to do an audition with someone else auditioning too, which was so, such a mind fuck. I didn't audition that much in my life. Like I, I'm amazing at interviews alone, but like having to be with a competition was intimidating. 
And then we had to read a teleprompter. And like, I don't know, like, that, again, that's not something I have practiced in. Like, I can spit out tons of opinions and facts, but like reading a teleprompter, a skill set I wasn't really privy to. So I fucked up the prompter on the first go and like, I could not get my confidence back. And I totally fucked up the audition. And I have a photo of me. And this is actually the stories in my live show. And my live shows is, yes, it, March 23rd is the new date in New York City. If you guys are here, I'll teach you literally how to become the main character of your life. But one of the commandments is rejection is redirection. Because I thought that this moment, I remember texting my mom and I have a photo of me sobbing, being like, I fucked up the one opportunity I had. The one opportunity I had to be a star, or to leave my job or to be on camera. I literally said that. I believed it. Like, I was like, how did I fuck this up? And, you know, then I would say two months later, pandemic happens, lockdown, that show gets canceled. You know, I would have had to move to LA for that show. And like, you know, can you imagine? Like, I mean, a lot of people did it. They moved to a new city and then they get locked down. Like, no fucking way. Like, and then I ended up creating my own show and my own business and I, I flourished. But that was all because I didn't get that role. So it's like, it takes a minute. And what I would say is this, I actually, like, I've really been so good at training myself and it's training. It's a muscle that you have to practice. But when something unexpected happens or it's a rejection or a setback happens, I like to be with myself for a second and go, there's a reason that this, this is occurring. And I don't know what the reason is, but I'm going to find out and I'm going to go, ah, that's why this didn't work out. And I've said that out loud to myself. I'm like, what is the reason? What is the reason? What is the reason? And there's been moments in my life where like, I'm like, what is the, what is the reason? And then literally like three weeks later, three days later, three minutes later, three years later, I'm like, that was the reason. And there's always a reason. So if you can get yourself to that place, you cruise through life in the sense of like, you're not as fearful and you're not as upset when things don't work out because you know, deep down that it will in the future. And before someone goes, that's so toxically positive of you, I'm going to tell you this, you are allowed to have 24 hours to kick, scream, cry your fucking eyes out and be so upset and spiral and think the world is ending. I do it all the time, but I get 24 hours and then it's back to work. And trying to find a solution to whatever didn't work out or an, an alternative thing, right? Like, and this has occurred many times where it's like, you know, I remember the New York Times was writing a profile on me and then they killed it. It was a whole, and this is like, you know, I'm a New Yorker. Like, this is like my like literal dream. And then they killed it. But then I ended up getting like, I ended up like, okay, fine. And then I just concentrated all my effort to get into all these other publications that I liked. So I wondered, like, if I'd gone the New York Times, would I have been in Cosmo L and, you know, the Post and the wall, whatever? Like, maybe not. Because I would have been like, well, I'm in the New York Times. Check. So it's like, it's just how you look at things. It's perspective, right? You know? That's just how it is. But I think it's super helpful. 24 hours to spiral. And then it redirects you to something better. I love that. Because a lot of times it's not the bad day that messes people up. It's like the bad week that comes from that where they just, the bad day, they end up going out and parting their faces off for like three days. They end up getting into fights or causing drama or they quit their job. And then like they look back and it's like a month later and they're like, what the f*** just happened, right? And it's like a result of them not being able to like not just sit in the pain for 24 hours, but also be able to like snap out of it, you know, after the pain is over. And it's not to say that like, okay, your feelings are no longer valid. Like they've expired now, but it's like everyone in life deals with rejection. Like that is a part of life and everyone deals with, you know, really traumatic, crazy shit. But I think it's the people that really just persevere are the ones that end up succeeding. And it's about not taking it so personally and not like having a pity party over it. It's about just being like, okay, this is what I'm dealt. How can I rise above? And sometimes I think like, you know, there's been podcasts I've wanted to be on and they pass on me and I'm like, cool, no problem. I'm not there yet. 
Like, I'm just like, you know, like that's a good example of something or like I auditioned for a TV show and like it, they passed. That's okay. Like it's like you have more work to do. And I think that the problem with social media, especially for the younger generation, not to age myself, but like it's seeing what everyone's doing. I mean, for us included, it's just like, you have to think that you have to have all the success right now. And when you think of it, it's like, you don't want to hit every publication and be in every podcast and be the star of every movie now. Cause then what do you have to look forward to? You want a slow build. And I think that with, you know, this overnight success and fame that's happening, that's the expectation. If we don't get it, something's wrong. I completely disagree. It's about the slow fucking build. Yeah. And you got to get your reps in because I've even looked back at like some of the big interviews that I've done. And I'm like, man, if I had done that interview like five years ago, I wouldn't have been ready. Like there's no way I would have been ready. My favorite quote ever is if you weren't ready, you wouldn't have the opportunity. And I feel like that totally changed my POV and things. So when now I don't get something, it's like, you're not ready to do it. But transversely, like, you know, if I have moments of imposter syndrome, which I don't believe because I believe you create your whole life, it's your plot. I go like, I know I can do this because if I wasn't ready to do this, then why do I have the opportunity to do it? And I have to say, when I was coming on your podcast, I was nervous because I know the name of it. And I know that you were going to ask hard hitting questions. And I was like, is this the right time? And I was like, yeah, like I can do this. I can be vulnerable and honest. I didn't know because like, I honestly just found out about you maybe like a couple months ago. And like, I, and when I saw like some of your podcasts, I was like, all right, is this really like, how am I going to fit this within my podcast and the narrative? Because we talk about relationships and, and stuff, but obviously I wanted to get deep and like be able to like peel the onion back a little bit and get more into your personal story. So that, that way we could highlight that since it doesn't really get talked about like nearly as much. So I appreciate you sharing that. Cause one of the other things I want to get into is you know, dating right now can be awkward. I think people are having a hard time. And one of the things that you've created to kind of make it less awkward is the card games. And I want to talk about Let's Fucking Date, which is your card game. Yeah, I just sent you some. Yes. I was actually going to, I was looking on, was it like Wednesday or Thursday of last week to order them? And I was like, dang, I won't have them by the time I do the interview, but I'll order them. Let's talk about like a question or two that you think that's in there that you think people would really enjoy, like just getting a taste of. So that maybe this can, maybe they'll get our answers on it. And then maybe that'll inspire them to buy the cards. Yeah, no, I mean, like I created the card game during the pandemic because I was doing a, like a live dating show at the time. And I was just asking, I was literally going on live dates on Instagram live. And a lot of my audience members were like, I want to go on zoom dates. Like I want to go on dates, but I'm nervous. I don't know the question. So I created this card game. It's four bases, first base, second base, third base, home run, higher the base, hotter the question. It can get really steamy. I have three games. Let's fucking date is a great date one, but you can play with a spouse. You can play with friends. Like I really wanted to make it as inclusive as possible. A question I love to ask from that deck is if you were a type of soup, what soup would you be? And this isn't your favorite soup. This is your personality in a soup. See, I would say for me, I'm French onion because I am extra and performative, but I have layers and I'm gooey on the inside. I like that. I think for me, I would probably be broccoli and cheese. Okay. Yum. Cause I'm healthy and I'm like kind of cheesy. Like I'm very corny and I have like a sense of humor. I smell good and I'm like always there. Like I feel like broccoli and cheese soup. It's like, it's, you know, you know, you're always going to find it in like the, the soup aisle, you know, you're going to find it at places like Panera bread. Like it's always going to kind of be there. So reliable, reliable. Yeah. See, I love that question because it tells me so much about you and how you see yourself. I love it. What about this question for you? So I don't know if this is in the game or not, but if there were like to be a, if there was a song about your life that you like listen to, they're like, oh, it's definitely mean you see yourself in that. Like, what would it be? Oh my God. That's a great question. We do have a song one in there. 
but I think it's like, what song is on your sex playlist? So I like this one. This is like, what's the soundtrack? I would say coming to mind, first one that I thought of is Who Run the World Girls by Beyonce. <laughs> <laughs> That's SFK's version, I guess. Um, what about you? Uh, it's just a couple. But I think the first one that comes to mind is Return of the Mac by Mark Morrison. And the, the reason I say that is I remember when I used to watch Entourage as a kid. And that was like played a lot in that show that was played in the show. And um, when I got back out of jail and I started to like get my self-esteem back, I listened to that song and it was like, it's just like a comeback song. Like I was, it felt like I was like returning from something. And it's like, I often will play that when I'm like in a rut and I find myself like out of it, I'll play that song because it feels like I'm, I'm back in the swing of things. It's a great song. Yeah. So what else? Like what's another card you think in that game? Like if you were to just pick one more card from like Let's Fucking Date that you think people would really like what was your first impression of me? Love that one. Of you? Like when I saw you on the interview or on like on other interviews? You can totally I mean, I guess maybe like face to face here. I don't know. I was I was expecting like SFK, if I'm being honest. Like I wasn't I didn't know because like, you know, you and I were not like we haven't really like messaged on like social media or I have this is the first time I've actually met you. So the only idea I have of you is like you online and on podcasts. And so I didn't know what to expect. But when I met you now, I saw this like cool, calm, humble, like confident, powerful, like female that. Wow, let's go. Well, it was just different because like I, I wasn't expecting you to open up like because I think it's hard, I think, for people to open up when they've never met somebody. They're on a podcast that Sometimes people have walls up. So I just was kind of surprised that you were able to, to open up in the way that you did. Well, my first impression of you was I felt like you created an environment where I felt safe to do so. So thank you. I loved your Mark Wahlberg comment. And I then I instantly saw it. Um, and then I felt like you were very, I've done a lot of these and I felt like you did your homework and it was really obvious and it flo the conversation just flowed. So I appreciate that. That's a great note. That's a great first impression. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. And um, I'll definitely have to, um, I'll have to definitely come to your show. I think, I mean, I'm, I'm in Baltimore, so it's, it's only like a three hour train ride. And I come up to New York a few times a year for stuff. Am I going to be the only guy there? Definitely not. Definitely not. It's like, a, it's a comedy show. Yeah. I mean, and you got, you got it at like a big location I saw. Yeah. It's at the Gramercy theater. It's pretty major. Tickets go on sale tomorrow for Thursday. So yeah, come through. I will. I will. You got to get you some free games. Yes, for sure. So last question I have. So let's get like into some of your advice for a second is, like I said a second ago, there's so many people that they're struggling in the dating world. They're either like trying to transition from being like super independent and single into like letting somebody kind of take care of them or being in a relationship or they're, they're feeling insecure or they're just confused and overwhelmed by this virtual dating world, whatever it is. Like if you had like two minutes with somebody, let's just say you met somebody backstage and they're like, SFK, Serena, like I'm having trouble. I'm so confused. Like, like where do I start to date? Like what kind of advice would you give them? Date yourself first, build a relationship with yourself first. If not, you're going to end up settling for less than you deserve without even realizing it consciously because the validation and attention you're getting from someone else is filling a void that you should be filling yourself. One, two, get on the apps. Dating is practice. The first time, the second time, the third time, you, it's just every date is practice for the next date. I think that people have said to me, I always say rule of three is like, you should be having three people at a time. It doesn't mean you have to be going on three dates a week, but three people should be in your, you know, roster that you're kind of chatting with. And, you know, because it's all practice. And so a lot of people say to me, like, I can't find three people I like enough to date. I'm like, the point of dating is to find out if you like them. So don't create all these hurdles 
before you actually got to the date face to face. And it doesn't matter if they're not like your top pick because that is going to give you practice for the next date. Yeah. And how many times have you heard people say like, you know, initially I didn't think I was going to like that person, but I actually ended up really liking them. Every single time. And by the way, like that's why I like when I did this dating show in 2020, like I dated 50 guys in a year and they were all blind. Every date was blind. I didn't want to know because I think that like it doesn't tell you anything. It's all about energy. And the only way you can feel an energy is if you're doing this, like talking face to face with someone. It's the only fucking way. It's the only way for sure. Well, Serena, this has been awesome. I think my audience is going to get a lot of value out of this conversation. I think they're going to definitely want to connect with you. They're going to want to try to come to your live event. They're going to want to buy the card games. If people want to learn more about you, they want to follow along your journey. Where's the best place for them to do that? Yes. Follow me, uh, Serena Kerrigan on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, everything. It is SFK still, so don't be alarmed. But now that you have the inside scoop, you know who the real Serena is. Amazing. Well, I will make sure to link all that stuff in the show notes. And for those listening, what I invite you to do is to share a takeaway. Maybe it was something that Serena shared about confidence. Maybe it was something that she shared about how much therapy has helped her. Maybe it was something that she shared about the power of looking in the mirror. Maybe it was something she said about do it for the plot. Whatever the takeaway was, tag Serena, tag myself, because we'd love to hear your feedback. And we once again, thank you for listening to this episode of The Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst. We'll see you next time.